0: You're listening to an episode of Tommy's Wild Shots with your host Thomas Wild Well hello there everyone, welcome to Tommy's Wild Shots, where the takes are almost as wild as trade deadline has been so far, and my god, it's not even Friday. I'm your host, Thomas Wildman, and for today's episode, I interviewed Brian Sutter, we had a very long conversation about his career, uh, both as a player and as a coach, and also talked a little bit about current hockey events, and so it was a great interview, so we will take you to that one right now. Today, I am very fortunate to be joined by Brian Sutter, of course, a very famous St. Louis Blue player and, of course, very famous around here in the Lloydminster and general area. Grew up originally at Viking, Alberta, which is just a few minutes away from Lloydminster. Um, Brian also, of course, well known for his hockey career, being a coach as well for the St. Louis Blues and also currently is running at last at Angus down by Sylvan Length. They had their 17th annual bull sale and female sale this past December. And so thank you so much, Brian, for uh, coming on the show today.
1: That's good to be with you.
0: All right, Brian, so let's start kind of at the beginning. Um, Of course, you grew up in Viking alongside your family. And uh, tell me a little bit about uh, working on the farm with your family and all of your brothers and stuff like that. And tell me a little bit about... Growing up on the farm, and then also growing up playing hockey in a much smaller market there at Viking in minor hockey.
1: Right. Well, I was I was raised. I was one of seven boys raised in a farm north of Viking, and and uh, uh, my dad always told me I'll never forget uh, when I, I was I do seventeen or eighteen, and I remember dad saying to me, he says, "You never forget something." You're born a farmer and you're always going to be a farmer and uh, anybody uh, all the best hockey players only have to work 18 or 20 minutes a night and <laughs> I didn't know where the heck that was coming from but uh, uh, I always thought I was a farmer and I've never never really my heart has never really ever left the farm and we did play 12 years in St. Louis and then coach another six but there was lots of falls. You got off the tractor, the swather, the combine and, and drove twenty straight twenty eight hours straight to get to training camp in Saint Louis and, and uh, anyhow so it was I was a farmer at heart and I always have been. I've never left the farm and when the season was over with we didn't go on holidays like a lot of other people did. You you came back and, and you you farmed and uh, that's we've been in the purebred business since uh, late 70s and uh, uh it's, it's something i'm really proud of and and still work 26 hours a day at it and dad always used to say if it's not work if it has to get done just do it and <laughs> anyhow so that's what we did but i always considered it special to be a farmer and i was one of the only guys all the years i played in the nhl to have another job so anyhow if you, if you call farming a job but uh so more a livelihood than anything but uh I always consider myself special.
0: And then, of course, you would have spent lots of time on the farm. but tell me a little bit just kind of playing junior hockey um with in Viking and then um trying to tell me a little bit about you know balancing that alongside working on the farm with your parents because that's something else that lots of lots of players these days, younger players probably don't do as much.
1: yeah, I, I suppose so. Uh you know the fall I was 13 coming 14 and and uh we my older brother Gary and I played two years of, of uh junior B in Vegerville, which was about 40 miles from Viking about 30 miles from the farm actually and, and uh so we played junior B there and it's it's first year in in the in the junior B league and then so I always consider that pretty darn special and, and uh you know you missed Playing midget hockey and mostly madam hockey because you played junior B and and uh, we played a couple of years there and then when I was fifteen coming sixteen uh, my older brother and I were invited to training camp in Red Deer and, and uh, we I, I ended up going my older brother didn't go my dad drove me to Red Deer and dropped me off at the rink and and uh, you know that was. Red Deer's always been a, a special place for us, all of us boys. We all, when we left home, that's that's where we moved for at least a couple of years before we went to and played in the Western Hockey League in Lethbridge.
0: Yeah, so the Red Deer wrestlers, that was part of the AJHL way back then, and then of course the Lethbridge yep. Broncos. It uh, was called the Western Canadian Hockey League back in the seventies there. And then moving on, coming up to the draft, uh, there's one interesting thing that when you look at uh, your hockey DB, you were drafted twice technically, but um not both in not in the NHL twice. You were drafted uh, second in the second round, twentieth overall by the St. Louis Blues. You were also drafted by the Edmonton Oilers in the fourth round, thirty-six overall in the WHA amateur draft. And for those of my younger viewers that don't know, the WHA was the World Hockey Association that started up in the early 70s and then didn't finished up in the late 70s. And that's where the Oilers, among a few other teams, eventually expanded into the NHL. But uh, tell me a little bit about that and kind of the whole draft process and the fact that you were drafted in two different leagues and kind of how that whole conversation went.
1: Yeah, it was, you know, first of all, getting drafted into in St. Louis, I was pretty special back then. There was only eighteen teams in the NHL, and that was nineteen seventy-six. And and uh, anyhow, it was it was it was pretty neat to to be drafted by St. Louis. And, and uh, Bernie Federico, who had played two years against in the Western League, he was drafted in the first round. So him and I went there together, and and uh, and played together for uh, about ten straight years uh, before they put me with Dougie Gilmore. And, uh, but it, it was, it was really special. It was something that, you know, I'll be honest at first. I never ever thought everybody, every, everybody always told me I wasn't a good enough skater. And, and, uh, all the years I played in junior and in, in the NHL, it was the same thing. So, you, you, uh, you, you know, you, you learn to live with that and you work to overcome it. And, and, uh, uh, anyhow, it was it, it was it was neat to be drafted. There's no question about that and and you, you learned when you're you know really young it was it was that, that was something special and every year I went to training camp even though I, I was named captain when I was only 21 coming 22 years old and back then that was the youngest captain in the history of the NHL and and every training camp, I thought I was going to get sent to the minors and you had something to prove when you went to training camp. So it was special to be drafted by St. Louis and and, uh, I was the only player in the NHL for years and years that didn't have an agent. And and, uh, uh, you, you know, you, you, you basically negotiate with the president or the general manager and or the general manager. And it was, it was, Always, always really neat. It was, it was something. Lots of years. You'd drive, like you we're saying before. It took about like, thirty hours to get to training camp, and and uh, the general manager, the president, they'd be waiting for you in the middle of the night with the cold bush beer, and and uh, anyhow, and and you'd get your contract signed. And so it was. I was a little different than than a lot of guys. It, it was uh, not to have an agent, but it it I developed a closeness with uh, management and and with the people that ran the NHL. And and uh, Bill Daly uh, came on board in the NHL about the same time that that uh, I went to St. Louis in '76. And and uh, so it was. It was always neat. He'd always tell me what. <laughs> what uh, somebody else is making Clark Gillies or Steve Shutt or one of those guys and, and uh uh anyhow so it was uh it was I always knew what everybody else was making it wasn't hard to negotiate a contract so anyhow and it was uh It it was always neat, but, uh, but yeah, we were drafted by Edmonton and obviously we're close to Edmonton. Like you were saying, the Oilers, the WHA came into being in 1972 and, and, uh, I was always had a closeness with the Oilers, even though I never played for them. And, and, uh, uh, it was, it was always something special. Glenn Sather is originally from our part of the country and, and, uh, it it was always neat. And, uh, even the Edmonton oil Kings, you played against them in junior. It was neat. and Dad take us up there to see the oil Kings play. And, and, uh, but then to, to, to be drafted by the Oilers. And, and I know they tried to trade for me a few times and St. Louis would never, never trade me. So, but no, we were, we were very, very fortunate to be in St. Louis. And it was a second home to us. And, and, uh, we stayed there, and you wanted to help keep keep hockey in St. Louis. And lots of times we we're close to moving. We went through a number of owners. And lots of times I was never paid what I was owed, and and uh, but every time a new owner came on board, the NHL made sure I was paid. Otherwise, I would have been a free agent. So uh, anyhow, it was it was it was. I was always considered myself very very lucky, and and my wife Judy and I, and we were married in 1976, and drafted the same year as St. Louis. And uh, so we always had a second home. It was, we were pretty lucky people.
0: And so you mentioned uh, a bunch of different owners and the moving, and it's something that kind of came up recently. I was talking to a few friends. Uh, The fact that St. Louis, the St. Louis Blues were nearly going to become the Saskatoon Blues. I believe it was in 1983 that those discussions were happening with your owner. Um, Tell me a little bit about that, um, the possibility of moving to Saskatoon, which wouldn't have been far, far from your, you know, your old stomping grounds for sure. And um, tell me a little bit more about just how different it was back in the 80s there and in the 70s as well, about how, simply put, St. Louis, they don't, ha- they didn't have the money they had. The, certainly the, the franchises years beyond back what they were back then as a team and especially now that we are in the salary
1: cap era. Right. Well, you know, first of all, with uh, us being close to moving to Saskatoon, we were very close to going to Saskatoon and Mr. Hunter Bill, he was, uh, everybody knew he was one of the guys that helped start the WHA and he ran that back then. It was the Alberta Oilers and, and, uh, uh mr hunter was the guy that he was going to build a new rink in saskatoon and and everything else and yeah it, it, w- it would have been special because it would have been really close to home and the neat thing was uh we for a number of years our training camp was in uh regina so uh that, that probably had something to do with us going to Saskatoon. We were actually training in Regina about the time we were, we were supposed to be moving to Saskatoon and we were very, very close to going there. And then once again, a new owner came up with the money and bought the team and kept it in St. Louis. And, uh, but we were prepared to do that. And I remember us thinking, and you know, how we were almost broken hearted, even though we we're going moving back close to home and, to Saskatoon and, uh, because St. Louis was like, we were saying before, we're, Judy and I went there when we were 19 years old and we were just married and, been just drafted. And, uh, and we love St. Louis and, and still do. And, but, uh, uh, back then with the way everything worked and, and everything else, it was, you know, it, it worked, it worked out for the best. That's for sure. And it was, uh, uh, to stay in St. Louis and, and, uh, just uh, to keep hockey there and, and be a, a part of the culture in St. Louis. So it was, but, but to, to have the opportunity to move back home, I can honestly say it, it was very enticing and it was, it was very different for us, that's for sure.
0: And then you were mentioning kind of you guys knew how much you were each making and like that's how you guys negotiated contracts. And of course, in the NHL today, people know what everybody's making because you can find it extremely easily. But just without and because of the St. Louis Blues going through owners and having to sell teams all the time, there wasn't a lot of money. You guys weren't getting the big blue chip uh, free agents and making you were often trading to get money and stuff like that. Of course, that's why Wayne Gretzky had to get traded um tell me a little bit about that and how it's a little bit different of course you coach just you you were out of coaching in the NHL just before the salary cap era began but tell me a little bit about just how that feeling was and especially compared to nowadays
1: well it, it certainly is different and and uh like back when I, I played in St. Louis there, were, there was only three players that were in one place as long as, as I was and that was Larry Robinson and, and Montreal and Dave Taylor in LA and and uh, anyhow, to spend that much time in one place and be a, a part of an important, what we thought, an important culture And St. Louis is a great sports town with the, the baseball Cardinals. The football Cardinals were back then and back there then, too. But uh, no, it, it, it was it was interesting, to say the least. And, uh, you know, Alan Eagleson ran the Players Association and there was always things going on that, well, everybody, you know, there's we always, our payroll structure was always way less than everybody else in the NHL. And, and uh, you know, it was, it was, it was really interesting. And it, it's funny. I, they asked me to coach when I was 31 years old and everybody always says it was because of injuries it had nothing to do with injuries. They asked me to coach. They just signed me to a new four year contract as a player. And, uh, and the second year that they, they called and, and, uh, Told me they wanted me to think about something important in the next step of my career, and that was was to coach and and to help keep to build what we have done over all the years in St. Louis, and and uh, and we did, and and it, it was very very special, and and uh, uh, but I was a lucky person because all the people that ran the teams in St. Louis were always Montreal Canadians were kind of the role model, just not just for sports and like football and, and baseball, it was for hockey and business. And the people that ran the Canadians were role models for, for our society. And, and uh, besides Al Arbor and Glenn Hall, who was like a dad to me, and, and Mr. Arbor was like a, a big brother and a dad, uh, everybody basically, everybody that ran in, in the management end of it, and the players, they all originated in Montreal. And uh, so we had really high standards when I look back at it, as, as far as the, the morals and values and on winning. And uh, uh, we're a team that I never played on a Stanley Cup champion in St. Louis, but the only teams that won more games than us in the 12 years I played were the Stanley Cup winners. And uh, that was like the Oilers and the Islanders and, and teams like that. So uh St. Louis is a really winning culture, and it's a it's a it's a great place to live. And but we were treated pretty darn good. And you were asked how it was without an agent, and everything it was. When I look back, it's kind of interesting because everybody asked how you negotiated, and uh, and I'll never forget the first time I nego- negotiated my contract. Emil Francis was the president and general manager, and he just came from running New York Rangers for a couple decades, and. and uh, I'll never forget him waiting for me the middle of the night at the arena in St. Louis and training camp was starting the next morning and I got there about two in the morning and, and, uh, I went right to the rink and he was waiting for me and had a cold beer for me. I'll never forget that. We talked and and I wasn't concerned one bit about not having a contract and going to training camp. and, And, uh, Anyhow, but I'll never forget, Mr. Francis says, well, how are we going to do this? And then he suggested, uh, he wrote down a number on a piece of paper and uh, what he thought I should be paid, and uh, and then uh, I wrote down on a piece of paper. And <laughs> I said, well, who's going to pick the other piece up first? <laughs> and I'll never forget it because Mr. Francis did it, and, and uh, he picked it up. And, and uh, I went from making... Uh, 25,000. I led the league in goals. at yours, the third year in the league, and I had 41 goals. And, and uh, I led the league in goals. And, and uh, I thought if we made 75,000, I'd be in heaven. And Mr. Francis out on a piece of paper, 125,000 for four years, and you decide the bonuses. <laughs> so I thought, that, you know, you went from making $25,000 to. Uh, Something like that, and I thought that was pretty darn special. And uh, anyhow, it wasn't hard to negotiate. And like we're saying before, Bill Daly had just taken over in the NHL, and, and all the presidents treated me really close, and, and including Mister Bettman. I was lucky. I was I had three presidents, and they all treated me darn good. And but they always told me what I should be making. And and uh, it, it was one phone call, is all it was. I was I was pretty lucky like that, I guess.
0: Yeah. And so we'll talk about the playing career. Yeah. 41 goals in that 78, 79 year. And of course um, <clears throat> we'll talk about, you mentioned the Islanders and the Oilers that was you pretty much, unfortunately kind of were playing in a year where teams that some teams were just really, really darn good. Cause of course you would have played for all four of the Islanders Stanley cup years there, except you were playing for the Kansas city blues in the 1976 77 season for a little bit there. But, um, Tell me about kind of, and of course you guys made the playoffs lots of times and had some really good runs here and there. Tell me a little bit about that kind of going up against some of those those big stars. And especially, um, it's a little different these days, but um, they say lots of guys, the old guys say you. Um, what happened on the ice, stayed on the ice, and then you guys were f- friends off the ice and had beers and all that stuff. And uh, just kind of tell me a little bit about that.
1: Well, it, it, it first of all the Islanders and teams like Edmonton and they did have very good teams. And, and as everybody knows, I had two brothers, uh, Dwayne and, and Brent played for the Islanders. And then Mr. Arbor was the, you know, he was a guy that was in St. Louis forever. And I, a lot of the things I learned about the morals and values about winning and came from guys like Mr. Arbor. And so I, I was lucky you were, you had a, a closeness with, teams like the Islanders, but at the same time was world war three. When you got on the ice, the last people you ever wanted to lose to was your brothers. And, uh, it was, like I said, it was, it was all out war when you played and Chicago Blackhawks and us, they talk about Calgary and Edmonton in Western Canada, having a big rivalry, Chicago Blackhawks and St. Louis blues were 10 times the rivals. And that, uh, Edmonton and Calgary were at any time. And, uh, Anyhow, so it's uh, uh, it was it, every every night. It was it, it was a battle, and uh, uh, you know, like like you were talking, is what went on the ice, stayed on the ice. But at the same time, uh, you know, something I learned over the years: the guys you hated to play against the most became your best friends after you were done playing, and and you end up wanting them on your team. And I was always someone that. You know, you always scored goals. Scoring goals seemed to be easy for me. And I always took great pride in being good defensively and one of the top defensive players. And, and I always was one of the leading guys in the NHL for major penalties. You had 25 to 30 major penalties every year. So it was, you didn't hesitate to to, uh, to uh, get involved in the physical part of the game and, and uh, certainly the Chicago Blackhawks always had great teams. It seems like them and Edmonton and ourselves. And, and you look back when Dale Howard, Chuck, and everybody were in Winnipeg. Uh, it was uh, it was kind of the same thing there. It was it was uh, uh, Winnipeg had a really good team, and yeah, we were always Islanders and and uh, and ourselves and, and uh, the Oilers. There was it was there was half a dozen teams that were. Uh, you know they were they were built to win, and and uh, yet on paper they always seemed to have better teams than us. And I was nowhere near in the class that like Wayne Gretzky and and uh, Glenn Anderson and Gary Curry and Ness and everybody in Edmonton were. But when you played them, you had to be as good as those guys, otherwise you weren't going to win. And uh, anyhow, so it was we were it it it, it was, and, and you know they say the games changed, but on hockey isn't won on a piece of paper games ain't won and lost on a piece of paper and and the best teams in today's hockey play with the same values and with the same structure the teams that win in the end the final four five six teams they're the hardest to play against and uh they're you know that they they're hard to play against away from the puck and you know and and they're good with it and, and you laugh now and then new the new NHL it's you know it's faster and it's more skilled and everything else but there's less offense now it wasn't for Connor McDavid there's less offense now than there ever has been and uh you know they keep trying to find new rules to make the game faster and and I'll never forget Bobby Orr who was the greatest defenseman ever to play and a, a really close friend and and he said, how can the game be faster when you pass the puck from your goal line to the far blue line, it's not offside, and then it's just chipped in and everybody's standing still. And uh, anyhow, it's, it's, it's kind of interesting, the evolution of the game and how people have played. And But one thing has never changed. What people buy tickets for, there's two things they go and watch hockey games for. One is offense, and one is physical play. And that's the same now as it was in the 50s or when I turned pro in the mid-70s. or or whatever, so anyhow, we're that's all the game is and it's never going to change
0: Well, I'll tell you what, I definitely agree with that, yeah, the Oilers game, uh, the last night here uh, when, I was excited for all the goals, but I was almost more excited when Nuge dropped the gloves with Justin Hull and gave him a good <laughs> smacking that was, it's probably one of my favorite and well, you don't need to give me any, any more reasons to love Ryan Nugent Hopkins but there was one yeah. reason, another reason there um so you mentioned the major penalties uh and of course it's just a different game these days especially with a lot of the guys aren't as tough that that way and just it's not as the tougher guys that will drop the gloves kind of tell me a little bit you of course were good at goal scoring as well but tell me a little bit about some of those guys that were on teams that like the David man is as a, as an example that were there simply put to grab a guy's sweater. Once they messed around, messed around with the wrong guy.
1: Well, it's, and, and again, this is where the game hasn't changed. Who did, who is the left winger for all the years, the greatest player ever to play Connor McDavid might catch him some year, but his, his grats, and he always played the same right winger, Gary Curry. Well, who were who the left wingers on his line? And I can tell you there was two of them that played with him. And uh, one was Samink, and the other was Dave Lumley. And those two guys were well known for just playing hard and going up and down and going to the net And, and uh, you know, fighting and being physical is an important being physical is an important part of winning. And you know, why have the Toronto Maple Leafs made all these trades in the last few days and added all these guys and and because they think they're top well they've never won around the playoffs and they think they're top end guys need a little bit of more room out there and and every player, believe me, no matter what the press says, every player knows that if they're on the ice with a big strong guy and somebody in the other team has ran over somebody and and they know things are going to get taken care of. And, and, uh, but it's the teams that play and it's not necessarily fighting. Fighting's got nothing to do with it. It's playing physical and, you know, looking at people in the eyes and in in scrums and, and, uh, so many of the so-called tough guys now are the guys that play hard. You know, every time there's a scrum on the ice, they never look at the other guy in the eye. They look at down in his chest or they look down on the ice and you know those guys, they're not going to win. And they're not good teammates. And they're not going to be there for, for their teammates when they're in trouble. And, uh, you know, it's, its you know, the, the game has changed in the rules and everything else. But offense isn't what it used to be. It's not even close. And uh, it, it's, uh, but playing hard and, and playing physical is, is, you know, winning battles those are still the, the key things. To, the teams that play hardest away from the puck are still the teams that are best with it, and uh, you know it's that—that's the way it is. So it's that—that uh, that part of the game has never changed and, and never will. So anyhow, it's 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 kind kind of interesting, really, how the evolution of the game and everything else, and and uh, but but we were lucky in in Alberta, to, you know everybody asked who you cheered for all the time and and uh, well the teams you always wanted to win except for when you played them was uh, calgary and edmonton and that's because you're from alberta and i was always proud to see what alberta did and, and uh you know it's it's uh, the teams here are special and and we should consider ourselves special to be part of them and to live here
0: that's the most positive thing anybody has said about both the oilers and the flames in the same sentence at least around my parts, so we we never had nice must be because we were so close to red deer yeah, but,
1: um, yeah. well that that was the neat thing about red deer I, and i learned that when i was a kid when i came here and i was 15 is that red deer is kind of the cutoff line it's, selfie here is is you're a flames fan and north of here you're an oilers fan and and, uh it's it's kind of interesting really and it's uh all of us brothers at one point in time of uh except for i think richie and 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 maybe Dwayne, have uh been uh and and been a part of the, the calgary flames and again the calgary flames were run by first class individuals and owners and uh, they became great friends of mine. I don't know how or why, but uh, Harley Hodgkiss and Doc Seaman and and we became very close when I was a player, and uh, and they were owners, and and uh, anyhow, and and we remain good friends, and and uh, so it's uh, we're we're fortunate to be where we're from, and and to see what Calgary and Edmonton have done, and being a part of the NHL.
0: And so let's kind of move on into the uh, coaching. Uh, you've already mentioned that basically you got a brand new contract to start coaching for St. Louis. And, of course, that you definitely were successful as you won the Jack Adams Award in 1990-91. And uh, all of your years in St. Louis as a coach, you you guys made the playoffs, uh, made it to the Brown 2 multiple times. And then after that, went to Boston. Of course, you mentioned Calgary and then Chicago. Tell me a little bit about that coaching and how that transition clearly m- was quite easy for you as you did it the second you stopped being a player. Uh, tell me a little bit about that change and maybe a little bit now of the change of how coaching worked back in the day and a little bit of how, how it's a little different this year in these days.
1: Well, the, the back when, and, and again, I mentioned once before I was named the youngest captain in the history of the NHL. It was the same way when I took over as coach. I was the youngest coach in the NHL. And, I was 31 years old, and everybody else was in their late 40s, and and uh, and uh, everything else. So it was it, it it was it was really, you know, it, it was different, and uh, you know, it was uh, it was it was interesting for for somebody like myself because, you know, the coaching and uh, uh, it was. I, I was fortunate. I had some great coaches, Emil Francis and, and uh, Jock Demers and, and on and on. And, and uh, anyhow, and, and I, was all, I always cared for the team. And, and uh, you know, I, I, as a coach, you, you carried on. And you and I talked a little bit before. You found out the guys you hated to play against the most, those are the guys you wanted on your team. Uh, Once you started coaching and you traded for lots of guys like Harold Snaps and uh, and uh, and Garth Butcher and and guys that were they were miserable, tough son of a guns to play against. And uh, uh, anyhow, it was, was, you know, coaching. I when I look back, I, I guess I pioneered or helped do some things that, you know, Back back when I took over, something that was important to me was, uh, you know, you know, I, I got involved in video a little bit more. And back then, the only guy that was in video was, well, they call him Captain Video, was Roger Nielsen and in Toronto and those teams. And but you did little things, but you never forgot, and you never. As a coach, I never, ever said anything to a player that I wouldn't first once said to myself. And Everybody talks about Darrell and back when I coached and being old school guys. Well, if old school guys are people that look at people in the eye and be honest with them uh, uh, and, and tell them up front all the time and, and uh, what the truth is and, and, you know, you make people accountable, the most important words in life, like, one of the most important words is accountability. And, uh, you know, that that's what you did as a coach. You made people accountable. And, and you know, we went from the oldest team in the league when I took over as coach in St. Louis to one of the youngest teams in the NHL and overnight. And you went from a team that was in the middle of the pack to one of the best teams in the NHL. And you helped turn guys like Brett Hull and guys like that that nobody wanted Uh you know Jeff Brown and Curtis Joseph and so many guys that nobody wanted or nobody thought could play in the NHL. You helped them become top top end players. And the biggest thing for me as a coach was was you didn't try to change people and and uh, you, know, you tried to get them to understand themselves. And I always felt that the good Lord put all of us on this earth for a reason, and He did something good to every one of us. And and uh so it's just as a coach to me it was important it was the same thing as a player I always felt it was only as good as everybody else in the dressing room and uh so you always try to make your teammates better and feel good and scoring goals wasn't the uh, priority it was you know not letting your teammates down and caring for their families and and uh uh things like that and, and uh it's uh it uh you know, I, I was lucky as a coach because you, you never forgot those things. And, and to this day, you're dear friends with, with so many people. And you know, When I was in in St. Louis and, and then you went to Boston and, and uh, uh, you went to Chicago, you had so many drop picks that everybody said couldn't play. And guess what? Every one of them played. And every one of them didn't just play. They're important parts of winning and uh, they all became good friends for life. And you still get calls from California and Florida and, and Pennsylvania and all over the world, guys in Russia and stuff like that. And asking you questions about things and, and, uh, uh and anyhow, and it all has to do from back when I was coaching and, and because you cared for guys, and like I said, you never said anything to a player that you wouldn't want first said to yourself. And, uh, You know, what I learned as a coach is, is what I've always known in life. And two most important words in life are respect and trust. And it's like in any walk of life, whether it's, it's you and I are friends or brothers or, or dads and moms, husbands and wives, teammates, trust and respect are the two most important words in life. And once you get one, you get the other one. And, uh, it's that's that's everybody wants that respect but some people don't know how to get it and that's where as a coach you help people understand and learn that and want to be a part of it and one thing that i was taught when i was very very young again by the old Montreal Canadians and John belvo and Paul Blake and dickie Moore and Doug Harvey and they were the greatest players ever to play and i'll never forget them cuz they'd always stop and talk to me after the games when i was in Montreal and and they'd grab you and they'd look you in the eye and they said never forget something winners don't always play on winning teams and uh, anyhow and I never really knew what they meant but every year the old Montreal Canadiens used to trade you know how did they get Guy Lafleur well they traded a couple guys to LA or California to, to get that draft pick so they could draft them and it only Heck, they'd only lost twelve games or something the year before. they picked the best player in, in Canada outside the NHL, and and uh, but you learn things like that from the like like we're talking about trust and respect and learning things about life and the people that are good in sports. Uh, they're they're good at any walk of life and and uh, but they and they're respected, which means they're trusted.
0: Yeah, for sure. That's very inspiring words there, Brian. I feel like I should go out for a ten-kilometer run. But um, with that being said, um, you kind ca- you kind of finished up coaching. Um, didn't get your contract renewed if- with Chicago in o three o four, and then you'd had a one season with Red Deer, and then that's kind of where your hockey DB profile kind of ends. And so, of course, I assume you went back home and started up your farm out with at last out in Silver and Lake uh so kind of tell me about those last few years in hockey and then also just kind of what you've been doing now and of course you've said that farming has been as big a part of your life as anything you've never really left it and of course you're still doing it today uh tell me a little bit about that
1: well first of all as far as the farming and the hockey like all the years we've that we played and coached, we always came back to the farm. We always farmed. And, uh, I was the only player for like, I think Daryl and I were the only guys in the NHL for years and years that, you know, we had another occupation besides hockey. And like, I never forgot that dad saying that hockey was, it was a game, but never forget it. You know, you're a farmer. And, you know, when the season was over with all the years I played and coached, uh, you came home and, and, uh, you know coaching far, farming helped me understand some things as a coach it was there was there was a lot of similarities to it and, and uh you know it's dad always used to say it ain't work if you have to do it and uh and it just takes some time to do it and it takes time to do it right so spend a little bit extra time to do it and but we were you know farming and coaching like i said we're very similar and and uh you know like on like coaching you got to have a plan a that everybody knows about and then you got a plan b that you're ready to go to right now and that that you're prepared to do and then you got to have a plan c and plan c is screw a and b and uh, you're ready to go to it and it's going to work too and (laughs) that's that's kind of how farming is too and, and uh uh Anyhow, and again, I go back to my dad lots of times. And my dad said, "Farming, you're in control of everything." He said, "Except for three things," and he said, "That that's when uh, the good Lord, when you look up at the sky, is it are we going to get some rain, or is it going to be dry?" and uh, know things dad said things like that and he says you're never in control of what your government tells you you got to do and you know you think about those things the similarities between hockey and and uh and farming and and uh and especially coaching especially coaching uh it, it taught me a lot it taught me to be prepared and and you know like a on the farm there's always 10 or 12 things you got to do every day but there's two or three things that have to be done and they got to be done first and that's the way it is with hockey too you can't be talking about some coaches talk about eight or 10 things a team's got to do and there's not a human being alive can do eight or 10 things properly in a day and but you can do two or three things right and that's the way you got to be as a, as a player and as a coach you learn that and every team that I was on Played their hearts out. We always had a young team. And uh, when we lost a game, the clock ran out. And like you used to tell our players, the sun's going to come up tomorrow morning and we're going to start over again. So let's make it miserable even if we don't get what we want on that night. And Every team that I was on was like that. You played your hearts out. And, and uh, the majority of the players, or a lot of the players that, that I coached and, and played, whether it be in Boston or or Calgary, or, or, or Chicago, or St. Louis, after we were done playing together, some of them never played in the NHL again. And they were darn good players in the NHL, and we were good teams when we were together. So it's, uh, you know, you, you, you try to make people better, and that, that makes better players. And in hockey, you gotta win off the ice before you win on the ice. Any sport you do. So, anyhow it's kind of neat like that and like i said we were talking we're talking about farming and the similarities to farming and hockey there's a lot of them and uh one thing you make sure you do is you don't do anything half-hearted or half-assed and uh you give everything you got all the time and and, uh and uh you keep going and like i was saying before if you don't get what you want at the end of every day, the sun's going to come up tomorrow morning, and you can start over. And don't dwell on the negative. And that's the way I always was, and I still am that way. And I expect that out of my horses and all the cattle we got, and and <laughs> and <then> my dog. <laughs> so, anyhow, it's uh, you're only as good as the people you're around, and and uh, uh, you want them to expect something from you, and I expect something from them.
0: Yeah, well, oh, I'll add my own little anecdote there. Um, me and Dad always say this. Um, if you ever do do something half-assed on the farm, though, it will instantly bite you in the ass later down the road. So <laughs> that's the other thing that you...
1: Yeah, oh, well, oh, that's... You're saying basically the same thing that, that I still believe in. And, and uh, you know, that's, that's the way it is. So anyhow, that's, uh, that's the way it is. And... and uh, that's the way life is. You've got to live by that.
0: And so, Daryl, just another quick, we'll kind of go to the modern-day NHL, and I don't know if you've been super paying attention to the Oilers as much as I have, but um, cooley RV, of course, his saga is quite well-known in Edmonton, uh, was a high draft pick, uh, went back to um, Europe to play for a bit, has come back, just never really got to the point the Oilers wanted with him. And you said that you've, you you have worked, and of course, one name that you mentioned was, of course, uh, Brett Hull, who was originally a Calgary Flame and then came to St. Louis um, early on in his career. Kind of tell me a little bit about that and what you would do with a player and what hopefully the Carolina Hurricanes, because you want the best, of course, for all the players and those young kids, especially since um Pooley Harvey seemed like a very nice guy from what I've been seeing. What would kind of you say to a player like that, that just wasn't really getting where he wanted to be with where he wanted to be. And of course the club not wiring being where they wanted him to be as well.
1: Right. Right. Well, there's first of all, the thing that, you know, that I learned as a coach is like I touched on before is, is you don't try to be somebody to make somebody because you want them to, or what the press tells you, they think they should become. They are who they are, and uh, you know a guy like Brett Hall, He, you know, when he played Tier Two out in BC, he still holds records for how many goals he scored. And uh, you know, it was, it was you know people don't know this, but he only went and played one year in the NCAA, and uh, and then he, he he went on from there. And and you know, he was a guy like Curtis Joseph. You know, Curtis Joseph left the Toronto area, and where did where did he go to to? get his life on course he went to notre dame saskatchewan and uh then he went and once again he was like holly he went and played a very short amount of time in the ncaa and then turned pro and and uh but it's it's just people about learning who they are and, and and everything else and the young man in edmonton that was just traded you know hey Edmonton thought he was going to become a big goal scorer and a power forward and, and everything else. Well, guess what? He didn't become those six. But he, what he does, he does well. But he's got to fit in with the team and and uh, you know some, you know, sometimes you don't live up to the expectations that the press make you out to be, and and uh, because the good Lord didn't make you that way. And uh, you know, a guy like Brett Hull, when I look back, and like so many guys. And, you, we were lucky. We played together, and I saw how much skill Brett had, and, and uh, how good he could become. And uh, and this guy, I knew this guy was the limit. I'll never forget his first year. And and we can talk about number thirteen that was just traded away from Edmonton. And and uh, you know, I'll never forget with Holly, he was uh, minus around minus thirty, and he scored forty some goals. And he thought he had a heck of a year. He was one of the top goal scorers in the league that year and and I said, No, Brett, you gotta be better. And you can be better. And and I meant that because I knew he could be. And guess what? He did become better. And you know, he's he's a guy between for three years with me, he scored almost a hundred goals a year between exhibition playoffs and regular season and, and uh you know, he he was good away from the puck and good defensively and you know, when he didn't score goals, he didn't stand in the slot and, and uh, just one-time pucks with uh, one of the best shots in the world. He didn't score. He went and stood in front of that, and let him hit around his rear end, or he deflected a puck in the net. He went to plan B. and But he had this dumb farmer guy that kept reminding him what other ways to make himself good. And, you know, this young man in Edmonton, it didn't work out. And, You're already looking forward to seeing what he does with his new team and and everything else. But, you know, it would be interesting if he wasn't a top draft pick in the first round, if he was a second or third round pick or fourth round pick, would we be thinking about him the way we do? Would the press be talking about him the way they talk about him? And uh, quite honestly, we wouldn't be. And uh, so it's just sometimes what we said on a piece of paper isn't what flush paper down the toilet lots of times and uh, that's people that write and they they, their expectations and are very very unrealistic in in lots of ways and senses and and, uh, you know it's uh, that young man in Edmonton he had a he had a great opportunity and it just didn't turn out so are you cheering for him when he goes to a new place you darn right you are you're looking forward to seeing what he can do, and but uh, I don't expect him to go someplace and score 30 goals. And but he's got he's a big man. And he's he's got to be a hard guy to play against in, in different ways, and, and he's got to learn that on a on a you know shift to shift basis, and uh, that's that's the way it is. And, and uh, anyhow, it didn't work out there, but you want him to to make sure it works out someplace else.
0: All right, and then we'll continue talking. Last question here about the Oilers. They got a big acquisition. Um, you know, everybody, and the rumor was, according to all the the uh, rumor analysts and the big uh, breakdown guys, that Oilers were in on Chikrin, but then they instead got Matthias Ekholm, who's a big, big, big defender. And we, you've been talking about the importance of defense. And do you think... Matthias Ekholm, of course, had worked really great last night against Toronto, and he played good, got an assist. But, you know, he's not a guy that puts a billion pucks in the net, but he's a guy who plays that big shutdown. And how important it is to have that even on a team that has probably the two most skilled players in the NHL right now, how important it is to have those players that are stay-at-home defensemen and stuff like that.
1: Well, it's very important because the best teams in hockey, and the Oilers have shown this in the past few years, you got to be good away from the puck because the other teammate, hey, there isn't two pucks when the game starts. They ain't going to give you a, a second puck. And then, you know, your best players got to learn. Wayne Gretzky had to learn it. Mario Lemieux had to learn it. Steve Eisman had to learn it. And Mr. McDavid is learning it right now. You know, you know, I, I can remember vividly when they lost out in the playoffs last year, who was on the ice for the winning goals against and who had the puck and who turned the puck over? And, you know, the press ain't going to talk about that, but those are facts. And your best players got to learn those things. The winning, the best teams always are th- that win the games and win in the end are the best teams away from the puck. And, uh, that's why, why the big defenseman that Edmonton just got, you know, when you're good away from the puck, you're better with it. And, uh, you know, you can take all the goals in the world and, and if you don't win, they don't mean nothing. And uh it's it's never about the goals you get, it's about winning and what it takes to win and, and winning teams learn that and a lot of management people in management don't understand that. And uh anyhow and you know, they've they've learned it on a piece of paper and game of hockey isn't played that way. And uh but uh, get getting him and Edmonton uh you know, you know, it's unfortunate like young guys have to leave and, and Barry leaves and, and, uh, there you go. You're taking away probably their top offensive defenseman. You're adding a guy that's pretty darn good away from the puck and, uh, but he's also pretty darn good with it. So is he going to make Edmonton better? you darn right. She is by, by a long shot. And, and uh, uh, and they need a couple more guys like him, but and he's he's going to make guys like McDavid and, and Ryce better players and, and help their young guys out. And, and uh, anyhow, so I, I think think was a heck of a move for Edmonton, and, and uh, so we'll we'll see what happens.
0: Yes, indeed. All right, truly the last question now because I've basically asked all of my guests this so far. Um, who is your pick to win the Stanley Cup right now? Of course, we've got one more big day of uh, trade deadline. The Oilers picked up one more, um, and I'm assuming the Leafs have made so many trades, I can't imagine they're done. But you know, who knows? But uh, yeah. who is your, who is your, who is your team to win the cup this year and try to keep the bias towards a certain team out of there?
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, it's hard. You know, it, it's really neat. Uh, Boston comes out here, and Boston is just in Edmonton and just in Calgary, and you see what they've done. They've got an opportunity to be the most winning, the winningest team in the history of the NHL. And we talked about the Montreal Canadiens earlier, and they were probably the best all-round team in, of all the years, of the 12 years I played and, and almost two dozen years that I was in the NHL. They were, those teams were, you know, when you lose 12 or 13 games a year for two or three years in a row or five or six years in a row, that's incredible. And to, so to see what Boston has done this year, then to add the guys they've added, you know, people don't talk about them adding Felino and, and guys like that. And, and Apis Lindholm and the defenseman they added from Anaheim. And and then they're very fortunate because the guy that stood on his head in Calgary the other night and played like God in between the pipes. Uh, well, he had real problems in life, and uh, he goes to Boston. He's, he's 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 found a new one, and uh, uh, anyhow, so it's it's special to see guys like that do well. So it's, it's hard not to cheer against uh, Boston, and and you know what they're doing. They could become the winningest team, and like we said, in the history of the NHL, and then they've gone and added the people they've added, and who who did they add? They added character, character guys and uh, that play in just about any role and can play with your so-called top-end guys or, you know, your so, so-called top-end guys that do all the scoring, how many of them do you see on the ice when your team's up by a goal at the end of the game? And don't answer that. that there's a lot of them, and there's some of them here in Alberta. That they can't be on the ice when you're up by a goal late in the game because they're going to turn the puck over or do something silly, and everybody knows it. And... Uh, Whereas the guys they brought into Boston, like all those guys, they play in every situation. And it's, it's hard to not to cheer against them. And and it's, it's interesting for me because when I was in Boston, they had some guys, uh, a guy like Don Sweeney, who was the general manager there. You know, he wasn't supposed to be able to play in the NHL. and I'll never forget telling him, you're going to play. And you're going to play every shift with, uh, except for on the power play with Raymond Bork, who's the best defenseman in the game. And so Sweeney and, and Borky, they they became pretty, we became one of the best teams in the NHL from one of the worst teams in the NHL overnight. But, you know, it was because of guys like Swings and, you know, make a guy like Raymond Bork better. And, and uh, anyhow, that's that's why it's hard to cheer against Boston right now. And There's, there's a lot of teams that are really close. And, you look at Carolina; they're they're a pretty darn good team, and you know Tampa. What did, every year you you can't count them out, and you know it's it's. I'm not biased either, but if a team like Calgary gets in, nobody wants is going to want to play them, and uh, so they'll obviously some of their top end guys are going to pick it up a little bit, and uh, and they'll be in and, or they'll have an opportunity to get in. Then. But uh, there's a lot of top end teams and, and you know, it's Toronto, they've made a bunch of changes and, you know, they're going to play tap, it sounds like, first round or, or early, either first or second round and they're going to have to show their colors in a heck of a hurry. So uh, it's, it's, it's going to be really interesting. It's, it's uh, because of the salary cap and everybody having to live up to certain expectations as far as what they're, payroll structure is it's made the league a lot closer than it, than it used to be and uh you know at one time payrolls were like we talked about in St. Louis ours was a, a quarter what everybody else in the NHL was at one year I coached in Calgary and we had a 12 million dollar payroll the next closest team to us was 39 million and the average in the league was 49 million and we we're at 12 million so it, it's it's uh, you know, that makes a huge difference in today's NHL and uh, so it, it makes it a lot more evener and as, as you and I and everybody know there's always the salary cap problems that these guys are trading money away and so but I'm you know it's hard to bet against Boston I guess going back to what you're saying, but I'm just explaining how it could happen or how it might not happen.
0: Yeah, so Boston uh, adding uh, Dmitry Orlov that was in mid February and Garnet Hathaway, <clears throat> big big ads there. And then their most recent big ad and this was a big deal. They added from Detroit was oh jeez I've forgotten his name now. Bertuzzi, Bertuzzi, yeah, Tyler Bertuzzi. And yeah, so
1: he, yeah, he that, when that he said, was an awesome addition too. Yeah. So yeah, anyhow, with the guys they got from Washington. So it's they've 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 added some real important parts and. You know Taylor Hall's out for a while, so they've, they've, and, it, and it's interesting because what have we talked about? Lot's character and playing hard away from the puck, and well, what are these? What are the things we're talking about that makes these top teams winners? And and they're concerned about maybe taking or adding something to take the next step, and that's those guys, the Hathaways, and. And Orlov, who does everything from Boston and or from uh, Washington, and and uh, anyhow, and and uh, those guys are, you know, what what they've added to Boston is incredible.
0: Well, and I'll, I'll, when you say taking being good away from the puck, there's probably Pasternak is you know you know your pure skill guy, but. Bergeron and Marchand are two players that definitely aren't only known for what they can do with the puck. They are also two players that are extremely smart away from the puck. And that's part of the reason Boston has always been a threat, as long as both of them have been on the team. Yep. They've been yep. in the mix, maybe not always looking for a cup like they are this year, but they have always, always been in the mix.
1: Yeah, yeah, you, you got her. You got her, that's exactly right, and that's that's 100% correct, and the game will never change.
0: Yeah, and I hope I hope for Daryl's sake, sake, because Daryl, of course, I've also had some good conversations with, as well as you, and yeah, I've he's the reason I all of a sudden am okay with the Flames winning, but it's also because I've spent too much time on Twitter, and Toronto fans are <laughs> infuriating there, so... I've yeah. switched, my, switched my gaze away from them. But I hope and also don't hope that maybe the Maple Leafs can break past their um, playoff demons. Because their um, playoff, uh, the fact that they haven't won a playoff series, the last time they won a playoff series, I was still in diapers. So that's how long ago it was.
1: Yep, you got her. So hopefully the guys they've added can help get them over that hump.
0: Well, and O'Reilly's definitely exactly the same thing. Good away from the puck and really good with it as well. So, thank you so much, Brian, for this interview. We've talked about all sorts of things, and uh, yeah, this has been excellent. And thank you so much. And um, hopefully, I can sneak away and come down for the to the bull sale this coming up next year, and we can have a good talk with a beer, just like you did before your contract.
1: Well, I appreciate being with you, Bud. It's been a real honor and. You'd be proud of what you're doing i'm fortunate to be with you i feel pretty lucky so thanks for your time and uh, it's pretty special so keep her going bud
0: yeah so an absolutely great conversation and thank you once again to brian for coming on to the show um hopefully we'll have him once again because clearly he has a lot of knowledge about the game in the past and a little bit about the game in the future uh that part about how important it is to be good with the puck as and be as good without the puck that uh really hit me hard and um he's convincing me that the bruins are going to win the cup do are they going to win the cup no the oilers are totally oh if only the oiler fans can dream as hard as i can So that's going to about do it for this week's episode of Tommy's Wild Shots. I thank each and every one of you for listening. It means a lot to me to see that this show continues to grow and that people continue to listen to each and every episode. I appreciate if you follow me on Spotify or listen on whatever podcasting platform that you end up listening to me on. I'm on quite a few podcasting platforms, so I thank you for each and every listen no matter where you're at. And um, if you would like to interact with me, tell me how wrong I am about the Oilers being the best team in the NHL. Uh, you can tweet me at Thomas Wildman three. I'm also on Instagram as Thomas Wildman. Also on Facebook, just at Thomas Wildman. Uh, you can re- reach out to me on any of those platforms. Uh, give me your thoughts, give me uh, anybody you would like to hear uh, be interviewed. If it is within my power, I would love to interview them, and I would look into it. So once again, thank you so much for listening, and we will see you
1: next time.